Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom is Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, this is the Gist of Freedom, and we're waiting for my partner, Mr. William Lauren Katz, he's an author of 40 books. Uh, He will be calling in uh, momentarily. We will be discussing his book, The Lincoln Brigade, um, a picture book. Uh, We have now uploaded it onto the Internet. um, You can reach at www.fightingfascism.com. That's www.fightingfascism.com. We are happily joined uh, with uh, Mr. Katz, Mr. Bill Katz. He is on the line right now. Would you like to say hello, William? Fine. Hello. <laughs> Glad to be on with you again, Leslie. Great, great. So I was just introducing um, the audio book to our audience. And, you know, we started working together on this project about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I want the audience to be reminded why we think at this moment in time this book is so important to people all over the world and of all ages. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the Lincoln Brigade has always personified uh, to people in the United States who knew about them the earliest people to rise against manifestations of fascism, uh, actually even at home or abroad. I mean, they're, of course, best known for rushing off in 1936, these men and women of all races, religions, and ethnic backgrounds, to help save the Spanish Republic from the armies of General Franco, which were being supported by the uh, Nazi government of Adolf Hitler, which sent in the Luftwaffe to cover their march on Madrid, uh, by the navies of uh, Benito Mussolini, dictator, a fascist dictator of of Italy, whose uh, ships patrolled the uh, Mediterranean and sank anybody trying to help the Republic, and also Mussolini sent in 50,000 troops, and even Portugal, uh, the Salazar dictatorship there, uh, 18,000 of his troops went in, and the Lincoln Brigade fought against uh, them. Uh, volunteers came from 53 countries, about 40,000 estimated, uh, arrived to try to fight to stop fascism. But this is on the international scale. The The men and women, for example, of the Lincoln Brigade were engaged what they considered anti-authoritarian or anti-fascist activities back here 
before they they went. They were engaged okay. in fighting racism, uh, the, the lynchings that were going on in the country in the 1930s still, uh, after slaves were freed, the discrimination, the fact that segregation was the law of the land. They were fighting for trade unions. Uh, in the middle of the, in the 30s, with the Great Depression going on, I was a child then, people were homeless, they were jobless, and uh, these were the people that were out there as volunteer union organizers. They were out there trying to help people evicted from their apartments for not being able to pay the rent, move back in. White guys were going up to Harlem to help black families move uh, into their back into their apartments when they were evicted for not paying the rent. How could you pay the rent if you lost your job or you didn't have a job? So they had a, a long history of this kind of fighting for unions against discrimination and so on. Uh, before they went to fight uh, against fascism in, uh, in the gates of Madrid. And by the way, these, okay, I that, met let, many of them. Up. Yes. Right, right. You, and that's what makes your book so special, is that you did meet many of them. And let's go ahead, continue. How did you meet them? And you went to Spain twice, isn't this correct? Yes. I, well, I, I, I met them actually on, on a picket line. Uh, which was an inter- interesting story. Uh, the uh, one a, a columnist for the Village Voice had written an insulting article about their African American commander Oliver Law, who was a, a broad-shouldered, six-foot-two Afri- uh, American v- veteran of the Buffalo Soldiers. People know generally who that is. That is the Black Infantry and Cavalry that fought out in in the West. Uh, of African descent in the U.S. Army. And uh, he was killed leading his men. And uh, uh, some uh, turncoat in the in the brigade had written an article saying his men didn't really like him and so on. And I was invited to a picket line in front of the village voice that was uh, joined by the black and white veterans. I met many of them that day in the picket line, and I was even invited by their uh, f- former commander who was leading the picket line, Steve Nelson, to go up to the officers and make help uh, them make a formal protest in the article and essentially say uh, they, it, it was nonsense. There was nothing to support that that thing of, of what they were saying about it. But the, the point that it brought out is that here's a brigade that went from the United States, the segregated United States, to fight fascism in Europe in the first march of it. And it was led, one of the early commanders was Oliver Law. And by the way, Steve Nelson, the name I mentioned, of one of the later commanders that came in, was on the three-man committee that appointed Oliver Law to be commander. And as I interviewed uh, Steve many times, it was very simple, he said. He was the best man for the job. He had uh, had military training and six years experience in the U.S. Army. Most of those who went over, uh, it was almost a joke. I mean, there were more acrobats than there were uh, people who were trained in handling a machine gun. I mean, these were people who were anti-war, but they wanted to stop fascism. And that's that's why they went over there. And that's the background. Okay. Uh, When you say 
the Lincoln Brigade, exactly when did they uh, form this organization? Well, they formed it in response to Hitler uh, using his Air Force to fly General Franco from Morocco with an army, a, a regular part of the regular Spanish army he had there, into Spain, I think it was Burgos, Spain, and begin a march on Madrid to try to capture the, this capital. And as, as the news got out about that going on, that was in 1936, uh, Americans began to mobilize who were kind of progressive thinking and anti-fascist kind of uh, in, in their activities, as I've outlined, and in, the, and, and in their soul. And they began to, to go there. And eventually, 2,800 went, men and women. Uh, one of the women, by the way, was a woman named Solaria Key. She worked in uh, Harlem Hospital, and uh, she she ran the uh, the unit where uh, where ba- I forget, babies were born and 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 cared for. And uh, she came out of Ohio where she couldn't get a job because she was discriminated against being African-American. So she came to New York, got a job in Harlem Hospital. And in 1935, when Mussolini, looking for an extended Italian empire, had his troops and air force attacks the Ethiopia of Emperor Haile Selassie, she began to organize a 75-bed hospital to get there, and other, by the way, other black people, men uh, usually, in places like New York and Chicago and major cities, uh, trained. They wanted to go to Ethiopia and fight for Africa to keep this great independent kingdom uh, independent of, of European control. But Mussolini uh, won that war very in a matter of months because he was his army was faced. His army, with all the modern equipment they had, even using uh, planes to bomb civilian populations and using poison gas, was facing an army that had more spears than uh, rifles. So mm-hmm. they, they couldn't go there. And, and, and But Solaria Key is one of those then, like the other 90 African-Americans who went, who were pleased to go somewhere to fight fascism, and in, including Mussolini and his troops, when the uh, war in Spain broke out, the Civil War, with Franco being backed by Mussolini and Hitler. So that's where they began, and they started going over in '36. I, I should add that to go to Spain, they had to make believe that they were tourists going to France. And, uh, they, you know, they carried a suitcase, and they tried to act like tourists on the ships that took them across the Atlantic, but and because the U.S. State Department had snapped into line and would not allow any help to go to the Spanish Republic or anybody to visit it, and it actually stamped American passports not valid for Spain. So wow. these men and women had to go there, and at night they had to, I guess you call it, sneak over the Pyrenees being led by guides into Spain from France. Some of them, by the way, were even arrested in France. But uh, and, and what that tells is that France and England formed a non-intervention committee, not to stop the war, not to stop intervention, 
by Hitler and Mussolini, but to stop intervention or help from anybody trying to help the Republican government. So that and so that's why the American passports were were stamped, and these people had to act illegally. And by the way, when they came home, those who survived, they they got off the ship that brought them home. And they were questioned by the FBI because they had broken an American law. So that's okay. how daring they yeah. were, and that that's what they had to sacrifice. Now the African Americans, um, you said they organized when Ethiopia was being invaded. Yes, that's correct. And uh, could you explain why would African-Americans that are safely living in Harlem and in major cities throughout the United States, why would they want to go to Spain or Ethiopia? And the other thing I wanted just to, to commend them is that we have to remember in the 1930s there weren't the the, the news wasn't available or, or as easy to access as it is today to access it as it is today. You know we have the internet, we have um, you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're inundated with uh, C-SPAN and uh, satellite news and and um, cyberspace news and you know cable. You know, we have it. And yet, how did these people, without all of this um, information that we have, in 1930, learn about what's going on in Ethiopia? What made them organize and take this risk of doing something illegally to even want to go to Ethiopia and Spain? Well, I, I, I think, you know, we have to credit. There, there, there were black newspapers around then. You know, you had the Chicago mm-hmm. Defender, the Amsterdam News, and the black people knew about it. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> uh, one of the incidents I tell about in the book is Oliver Law, before he goes to Spain, he is uh, he is organizing an anti-fascist uh, rally in Chicago, and I give the exact night he does it, where he gets up on top of a roof, they announce a rally to denounce uh, Mussolini's invasion of Ethiopia, and he gets up on a roof and, and denounces it. There are, there are, I think, thousands of people show up, and the police show up. They want to prevent it in Chicago, and they, actually he's arrested. But the, And this is another thing I want to get, Leslie. The tactics these people develop, the Lincoln Brigade guys, is amazing. So as soon as he's arrested on one roof, Another speaker, white guy, appears on another roof with the same message. We've got to stop fascism in Ethiopia. And then when he's arrested, another guy, and until seven guys are arrested, each one popping up on a different roof so that the message does get across. So the the black community has ways of getting the message across. And, and I would also add that there's a march in New York opposing uh, Mussolini's invasion of Ethiopia in which African-Americans march along with Italian-Americans. And, and that's important mm-hmm. to note, that the Lincoln Brigade people come out of a thing of interracial unity against oppression of all kinds, and how that naturally feeds into some of them even wanting to go and lay their lives down on the line in Spain. Because in Spain, they're facing, as I said, 
50,000 Italian fascist troops. They're facing the Nazi Wehrmacht. They're facing, that's the army. They're facing the Luftwaffe. The Gestapo is in there helping Franco interrogate prisoners. You can imagine what that means. And it's a chance to fight fascism uh, and its first march in, into Europe. Mm-hmm. Now, what was the name of the, the organization that um, Paul Robeson spoke in front of? It was over thousands of people that rallied in Harlem. I the organization. don't re- remember the name of the organization, okay. but you're mentioning Paul Robeson is extremely important because it was during the Spanish Civil War that Paul Robeson, who was already a, a not only holding law degrees from Columbia and, 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 and a noted scholar spoke several languages, but that he was getting interest and in, in, an actor as well, but he was getting interested in the political development that were taking place in Europe and the United States. And he went to Spain. He sang before the troops. He agreed that, well, what he said was, an artist must decide. He's either for slavery or for freedom. And as a son of a a runaway slave, he knew what he was talking about. And he said the artist must decide to be on the side of the oppressed, on the side of people. And he dedicated his life. And it was Spain that led him to that decision. Mm-hmm. Was he involved with the Ethiopian uh, invasion? I, I suspect so. I, I don't know. You have to understand. Mm-hmm. People have to understand. That, that happened. That victory happened so fast that you, you couldn't get anybody over there to really help. By the time you got to mm-hmm. Spain, when there were only five licensed black pilots in the United States, two of them were able to get to Spain and, and bring down enemy aircraft. You know, so you, you can mm-hmm. mobilize people because it was a civil war that started in 1936, in about July 1936. But it went on for the next three years and, until just before, mm-hmm. actually, World War Two. Now, we have to give them credit not only for getting involved in 1936, but if I'm correct, it took... Um, America being bombed um, uh, on uh, December Pearl 7, Harbor, 1941, Pearl, Pearl, Pearl Harbor, in order for them to, to react and to start fighting fascism. You know, why did it take so long, and why did it have to, um, why did they have to wait until they were physically, you know, attacked? Whereas well, when we look at the Lincoln Brigade, they didn't get attacked. They were proactive instead of reactive. Yeah, they no, they saw what was coming. We have to understand there were several things going on in the United States and the world. The World War One left a lot of people saying, we don't want, in, in the United States that is, we don't want any more involvement in foreign conflicts. It was called isolationism. It was a way of thinking. And there was a lot of truth to it. There was a tremendous carnage, loss of life. Millions and millions of people died, soldiers and civilians. It was the first modern war in that really more civilians died than soldiers. And for what? To, to, to give birth to a time when uh, a few years later you get a Mussolini, a Hitler, a Salazar, 
a march of fascism and so on. And in the United States, that feeling of isolationism was very pronounced. Now, in addition to that, the way the civil war in Spain was portrayed, with the Republican government fighting for itself against fascism, the church, the Catholic church in Spain, sided with Franco and the fascists because they said the other side is communist because the popular front government, which was liberal, uh, Democrat, I guess, equivalent of Democrats, Republicans, and communists and even anarchists in Spain. In other words, the whole left of Spain was in support of the Republican government. And liberal things were going on there. Women were becoming independent. They were wearing pants. As a matter of fact, some of the first defenders, I have photographs of them uh, in the book, uh, defenders of, of Madrid for the Republicans were women. And uh, they, they manned the quartermaster corps. So it was a kind of revolutionary thing that was happening in Spain. The old order was facing a new order in this new government. But the way it was portrayed here was we don't want to get involved in foreign wars. We don't want to do anything. And besides, this Republican government of Spain, well, they're probably, they have communists in them. They're a bunch of communists. And they also pointed out that when nobody helped Spain, two countries did. One was the Soviet Union, the communist Soviet Union. They saw early that Hitler might be marching eastward toward them. And they wanted to uh, stop Hitler if they could in his tracks. <clears throat> and also the uh, government of Mexico was trying to help Spain because they felt a kinship with, uh, Span with Spain and its Republican government. And uh, the Soviet government became very important because they got they did send some, some pilots to uh, Spain and planes. And they uh, sold them guns and ammunition when they needed it. And when there was an, essentially an embargo and nobody else could sell anything to Spain. And as I said, the volunteers had to sneak in illegally, violating their own passport regulations. Mm -hmm. Now, again, the website is www.fightingfascism.com. And you can um, download the book for a fee of five bucks. Um, very uh easy to do. PayPal is available. Um, now let's discuss how is it relevant today? Any parallels between um, what went on during the Lincoln Brigade era and what's happening right now uh, with this uh, presidential election? Well, many people feel, especially with, especially with some of the appointments that uh, President-elect Trump is contemplating of, of people who have authoritarian views that, and that his views are authoritarian. Uh, he doesn't even want to leave his day job in real estate or even his part-time job in a TV show, uh, which is, seems to be in violation of both the Constitution uh, requirements for a president to give up what might be economic interests that could uh, be detrimental to his serving his country. And as I said, picking people and considering people for high office, some of which he's chosen, some of which, like Bolton, he's still considering for a post at the UN when he's absolutely hostile to the United Nations. Well, 
in the 1930s, there was a lot of that going on, not at the top levels of government, which because the president was Franklin D. Roosevelt, and he instituted a new deal and was concerned about feeding the uh, people who didn't have food and, uh, you know, helping the unemployed get jobs and so on. But there were kind of fascistic groups around then. The Ku Klux Klan was around then, not just around as it was in this election under David Duke supporting uh, and delighted that uh, Donald Trump had won the Republican nomination and then and then the election. There was a Father Coughlin who invaded uh, against people that he considered enemies of the United States, by which he meant African Americans and Jews and uh, people who opposed his views. Uh, there, there were pro-fascist groups that were uh, operating around uh, at, at that time. The Nazi, uh, well, the, the Nazis had a, a, a friend organization here called the German-American Bund, which was supportive of Hitler and his policies and held meetings in Madison Square Garden in which they denounced Roosevelt, uh, denounced Jews. Matter of fact, they even said uh, Roosevelt, they referred to Roosevelt as Franklin D., what was it, Rosenfeld. In other words, they tried to make his name appear Jewish. And actually, uh, when a, a Jewish cab driver tried to uh, speak out at one of these uh, Nazi uh, German Bund rallies in Washington, in, uh, Madison Square Garden, he was attacked and been beaten up. And in the German section of New York, uh, they they flew Nazi flags and so on. So there was some experience here, on, in, even in New York, in the multicultural New York, with the uh, kind of the long arm of fascism. And one of the main groups that developed here was a committee called, and this may sound familiar to listeners, America First. And the America First Committee was really composed of people who were supportive of what the Germans were doing in Europe, how they were what they considered disciplining their own population by getting rid of disabled people, Jews, radicals, uh, union leaders and communists and socialists and so on. And their leading spokesman was a very famous uh, man, Charles Lindbergh, who was the first individual to fly the Atlantic, and he was of German birth, and he got up and he made speeches affirming his belief in what Hitler was doing was the way of the future. So there there were tangles with fascism and fascists here at, at that time in New York and, and around the country. And uh, the people who went to fight in, in Spain had... They they knew from the language that Franco was using. They knew from the allies he had that this was the danger, that fascism had to be stopped, or you could maybe even have a world war again, which is, of course, what happened. Wow, that is terrible. Uh, and we're going to close with this, uh, you know, just reminiscing about the campaign. You know, when you said that... Um, these these rallies led to people getting beaten up. We could think about um, Trump's rallies where he uh, would tell his audience, you know, take care of him. He would pay legal fees um, for anyone, you know, um, 
that was involved with handling an, an opposition, anyone that came to his rally that didn't, that heckled him, you know, he encouraged his uh, supporters to, you know, to do whatever was necessary to to stop yes, him from speaking. Violence. Violence. He, um, yeah, I mean, he also this is right out of the right, Nazi you know, songbook. Right. You, you and, beat and up we people. Could talk about, you beat people up. And he um, said he wanted to sock somebody, I recall. You know, it's alleged, it was reported that he wanted to sock another reporter, so he would have himself. Um, you know, the list goes on with his behavior. It's erratic. Um, it's violent. And what's so scary is that he talks all this stuff and he gets people riled up, but him himself has avoided any type of personal com- conflict. And yet he promotes it. Um, but as we get closer to Monday's vote, the electors have to vote. Uh, he needs 270 of them to vote his way um, this Monday. He's softening up his image. He's meeting with African Americans almost every day, celebrities, a whole bunch of photo ops. Um, so, you know, why do you think he's trying to change that image about these with these African Americans at this late stage in the game, when it was just the opposite during the campaign? Well, I I think you're right. You've hit on something very important, and I think that. Uh, one of the things is he, he wants to come in with some support, and he knows that even many, many, many white Americans, they, they may be bigoted, they may believe in discrimination, but they don't want to hear black people denounced in a lit, kind of lynch law way by the president of the United States or any high elected official. It doesn't float anymore. So he has to maintain a, a picture of himself that he's willing to associate with, even talk with, and have his picture taken with African Americans, even though uh, it's pretty clear he's going to carry out policies that are not going to benefit black, black Americans or any other Americans, really. Certainly not those he's mm-hmm. denounced, such as immigrants and so on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he started the Bertha Movement. Um, he wanted That's the. Right. Uh, he asked for the. He asked for the um, execution, the death penalty, to be reinstated when the innocent five teenagers were accused of raping a Central Park driver, a jogger. Um, you know, the list goes on and on with his relations with African Americans, and um, it does make you wonder what. You know, we would have to ask what would the Lincoln Brigaders have done at this moment in time if they were alive with this president. Yeah, well, it's it's clear, it's pretty clear that if you follow their trajectory, they they would have been leading the uh, the opposition. And I think that the, the other thing people will find from the audio book is that they developed some very interesting, peaceful, but unusual. Uh, protest strategies of how you get your voice out there, how you make your point and show up the enemy. They came up with some very creative ways of fighting. They were leaders in demonstrations, in marches, and so on. And I go into some of the tactics they used in opposition to the what they consider aspects of fascism that they 
opposed here in the United States. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we covered everything. Again, you can uh, reach the book and order the book at www.fightingfascism.com. And is there any other closing remarks you'd like to make besides giving us your full contact information? No, I, I, I think we've covered it, and people get the idea. And it's a fascinating story to read because he, these are the people that shaped the American protest tradition. They really did. Their energy and optimism, their valor and daring really fed into it and strengthened it uh, uh, and, and really just until up recently when the last of the uh, Lincoln Brigaders passed away. By the way, my website is williamlcats.com, and you can read articles I have there on the Lincoln Brigade, my other books such as Black Indians, and so on, all free of charge. Okay, and, there, and you have a, a, a list of all 40 of your books on your website. Yes. Okay. All right. Thanks again, uh, Bill. We'll talk soon and have a Thank great Thank you, evening. Leslie. And let's, good right. luck. Okay. Bye. All right.